Welcome to the Sleeper and the Bust podcast brought to you by Fangraphs.com. This is episode 116, recording on May the 6th, 2014, which means Eno Saros is back. Good afternoon, bud. Yellow. Yes, it's a uh, gorgeous Tuesday here. I don't know about you. don't know if you have ballpark plans today. Uh, no ballpark plans for me, but it is a, uh, at least it looks nice outside, but uh, Orlando summer is in full effect now. Yeah, it's it's beautiful here. I'm headed to Oakland today. Going to try and talk to maybe Jesse Chavez, Scott Casimir, and somebody on the Mariners. Can't quite figure out who yet. Uh, can't talk to Rasmo Ramirez. He's not there. See if Danny Farquhar's doing anything new. Dude, he got he got sent to high A, man. <laughs> yeah, this is Ramirez we're talking about, by the way, not Farquhar, before anybody else freaks out. <laughs> right. That's... That's that's such a that is such a you know backhanded slap. <laughs> and, I mean, they did that to uh, Roy Halladay back in the day, but yeah, when they initially sent down Araspo, they said it was to keep him on a schedule. That was two weeks ago, and we haven't heard anything <laughs> since. So, <laughs> still at high. I mean, that, there's there's the bus leagues, and then there's like that. Uh, yeah, at least it's, at least it's in California. You know, at least he's in the West Coast, uh, but God knows he probably has to pitch in Lancaster at some point. That won't be pretty. Uh, So today's show, we're going to talk about uh, some guys that are a little bit too patient at the plate. And we're also going to talk about some guys that have surged and as well as have lost strikeout rate. I I did a piece over at Rotowire today looking at guys whose strikeout rate has surged. I also showed a table of guys that have uh, their strikeout rate has decreased by five or more. Uh, full percentage points. Example, you Darvish from 32% to 26%. That's a bit of a drop, uh, but that list is all over the place. Uh, but I thought I thought there were some interesting guys that have surged in strikeout rate this year. Some hard throwers, some soft tossers, some former soft tossers that are no that are now hard throwers. So things are a little bit all over. But let's get started with the hitters. And you wrote a piece about uh, Pablo Sandoval, and you also mentioned something uh, offline about Jonathan Scope. What'd you get at? Well, uh, I'm, I'm sort of just looking at swing metrics, um, you know, swing percentage and, and its relationship with swinging strike percentage. Um, and with Pablo Sandoval, what happened was um, I'm pretty sure he needs to swing more because what he's doing is right now he's showing career lows in swing percentage and he has improved his reach rate, but it's still terrible. And what has happened by not swinging is that he's getting into 0-1 counts more often. He's not swinging at the first pitch. The first pitch is more often a strike than any other pitch. And, you know, getting into these 0-1 counts has created, you know, a really bad strikeout rate and just a, just a really bad year at the plate so far. And I think that just being more aggressive on the first pitch will change the tone of a lot of at-bats and will, will change a lot of those 0-1s, you know, either into balls and play uh, those all one counts either into balls and in play or um, into you know uh, uh, it could still be all one, but at least he you know is his more aggressive self, which I just think in general that there are each hitter has his own ideal set of swing metrics, and it's not really about looking at 
you know, how bad they are according to the league, but really more looking at changes within a player, mm-hmm. uh, within a player's history and seeing how, you know, because I think Pablo Sandoval has, has, has established himself as a grip it and rip it guy. And when he starts, you know, really tinkering with that, he falls away from that. And I think he just gets, he's just really confused right now. You know, we, we've hinted at this in the past. That, I mean, you wrote an article last year about the importance of the first pitch strike. I know some, one of the MLB.com writers interviewed you for a piece as well on that last year in regards to Matt Harvey. But I think we've, I think we've mentioned these numbers in the past. This is just for this year, for people to kind of get that in context. For this season, after a batter gets into an 0-1 count, they hit 219 and strike out 28.6% of the time. After a batter gets into a 1-0 count, they hit 265 and strike out 16.5%. So that's your gap. That first pitch, if it's a ball, really very much in your favor. If it's a strike, you're behind the eight ball already, and that's just and that's just for 2014 only. So it's a rather large gap. So you're mentioning uh, taking that first pitch, it being a strike more often than not, and that puts it behind the eight ball. Yeah, and I think what 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 we're seeing out of this is that the uh, the difference between you know we have a, we have a list right now. We're gonna we're gonna start talking about guys who don't swing a lot. And some of them have bad strikeout rates anyway, even though they're, they're showing the selectivity at the plate. And I think that one of the keys to this is the first pitch swing strike, first pitch swing rate. So we'll look into that in the future. In the meantime, we'll use a blunt metric that's available on the, on the leaderboards and just look at swing percentage and look at guys who have, who make good contact and don't swing a lot, which seems like a great combination. It seems like, you're patient, you're sort of Barry Bonds type, the guy who can make a lot of contact and also only swings the pitches he wants to swing at. I think that the only sort of wrinkle in this, or one of the wrinkles in this, is that sometimes you put yourself in an 0-1 count if you don't swing a lot, especially if you don't swing at the first pitch, because the first pitch is a strike 60-62% of the time, and if you're not swinging at that, that means you're in an 0-1 count 62% of the time. So I think we uh, let's we can start looking into this, but I think that some guys are basically a little too passive, you know. And I and I got into this a little bit with Josh Hamilton, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. I, I realized Josh Hamilton has this really really bad swing strike rate, but he's so aggressive that in some ways he makes contact before he strikes out. Um, and if you just looked at his swing strike rate, you would think, oh. Here's a guy who's going to strike out, you know, 30% of the time. He's the, he's got that kind of a swing strike rate. Mm-hmm. But no, he strikes out 22, 24% of the time, and it's mostly because he's out there hacking away until he gets something. Um, and that's that's sort of the flip side of a guy, maybe like Adam Dunn, um, who is so patient that he he sees a lot of strikes go by. So yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at first pitch swings this year, just for the 2014 leaderboard. The guy at the the very top should surprise none of us, uh, and that is Alexi Ramirez. I mean, that that's a guy. If we're think of who's going to come out hacking, it's going to be it's going to be him. Yonder Alonso, Jose Altuve, Carlos Gomez, and Aramis Ramirez. Those are your top five guys as far as swinging at the first pitch. Your bottom five guys. The worst is Brian Dozier. Has done it three times. Oh, you're looking at his. Oh, that- Go ahead. Sorry. No, I just, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's perfect. I mean, that is exactly what I'm talking about. You look at Brian Dozier, his swing strike rate is 6.3%, and his strikeout rate is over 20%. Um, let me see. I had it up. But uh, 
you know, that, that sort of thing is, uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, when I look at, he's, he's got a sort of average or worse than average strikeout rate. And yet his swing strike rate is, is, is great. It's like a contact hitter level number. And so let me, I'm sorry, but let me correct myself on this. That was plate appearances, first pitch swings. So, but I just switched over to raw count, but Brian Dozier's still in the bottom five. He's, he swung at the first pitch just 13 times this year. I think he needs to swing at it more. I think he needs to swing at it more. I mean, I, I understand he wants to take pitches, and maybe it's about showing uh, his management what he's what he's about. And obviously, in some ways, it's working for him. Nice power, nice speed, nice walk rate. All those things, I love those things. But at the same time, a guy with a 5% swing strike rate shouldn't be striking out 21% of the time. And, and the lowest guy on this list, the guy who has swung at the fewest amount of first pitch strikes, currently has a slash line of... Uh, currently has a slash line of, come on board, let's go. I know he's hitting awful. I just want to repeat his numbers, but he is, uh, again, he, he's only swung the first pitch five times all season. I'm talking about Martin Prado. And Martin Prado is having a very disappointing, from, by Martin Prado standards, he is not hitting the ball uh, this year. He's hitting just 250 with a 298 on base percentage and a 318 slug. That's what his numbers are coming into today. We're talking about a guy who hit 301 with a 796 OPS two seasons ago? 282 with a 750 last season. 250 and, with and, a six with a 616 OPS right now. Yeah, and I think uh, I think that is a lot of that first pitch stuff because here's another guy: four percent swing strike rate, seventeen percent strikeout rate, and it's even worse for him because we know what his baseline is. His career baseline is a four percent swing strike rate and an eleven percent strikeout rate. So here's a guy who's just striking a lot more. And for whatever reason, he's just watching, you know, first pitch strikes go by. And, you know, let's just look at the first pitch strike rate on him. Um, and uh, it's 56% of the time, league average. But, you know, he's watching. He's That means he's in 01 counts, you know. Here's the thing. What I see in his line, you know, last season, here, these are his swing, his first pitch swing numbers for the, each of the past four seasons. In 2010, 69, 69 again in 2011, 53 in 2012, and 65 last year. Five this season. So let's just say we're one-fifth of the way through the season. That means he's on pace for half of what he did last year. And then if you look at his overall line, it's not like taking pitches is adding any benefit to him because you look at his walk rate over the last three seasons, 8.4, 7.1, 5.7. So taking that first pitch more often than not is putting him behind the count, putting him in protect mode, and he's not draw, he's not gaining any walks by taking more pitches, and he's striking out at a career-high rate right now. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I wonder how that switches. I wonder how that how that flip switches when you're talking about a guy with a bad swinging strike rate. You know, perhaps they shouldn't be swinging more or swinging at the first pitch more because they're going to miss it more. <laughs> um, so they might still get in that 0-1 count and, and, and still be worse off because they've, they're swinging at more pitches and swinging at things that are outside the zone. I mean, I think about... You know, we we were talking about Xander Bogarts in in the prep for this, and how you know he doesn't swing very often, and he has a high swing strike rate. There's a very few um, uh, players that that fit that mold. You 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 had a little report here, and you know, out of the top thirty in uh, out of the top twenty five in in swing in swing percentage, the bottom twenty five in swing percentage. So the guys that the twenty five guys who swing the least. Uh, any only, pitch, by the way, any pitch here, not just the first pitch. Right, this is any pitch. Uh, the bottom 25 guys in swing percentage, only three of them have a double-digit swing strike rate. Um, you know, most of the guys who don't swing 
I think that they're super selective, and so they hit they hit the pitch they want to hit, and so they they can make more contact. And the guys that are at the bottom of this list that fit that mold, the very the, the top five or the top four at least are names you totally think of. Uh, well, maybe not. Jose Bautista doesn't swing very often, makes a lot of contact. The batting average problems he have he has are a little bit more about the fact that he hits the ball up in the air a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, infield fly balls, hits a lot of fly balls. That's a little bit more what's going on there than anything. But Matt Carpenter is your is your ideal guy, I think. You know, swings almost fewer than anyone, um, swings almost less than anyone, and has a great swing strike rate. Joey Votto's on this list. Uh, Shinsu Chu's on this list. These are guys that are great batting average guys. Um, and, uh, and then you've got Xander Bogarts, Jackie Bradley Jr., and Adam Dunn, who are also on here. And I, and I don't actually know that I have any advice for them in terms of what these swing metrics say. Uh, it, it, you know, maybe it is best for them to not swing at a lot of pitches and really make the most out of what seems to be a little bit um, not not as great of a uh, of a natural ability to make contact. And those three names stood out to me on the list because they each have double digit swinging strike rates, and they are the only three of all the people that are passive down here. I mean, I don't have, I didn't do the average swinging strike rate, but everybody else is single digits. And then you get Adam Dunn, Xander Bogarts, and Jackie Bradley, two rookies with limited playing time, and then a veteran who's just infamously known for swinging and missing. But everybody else uh, is on that chart and I just thought it was worth pointing out that you know just because you don't swing at a lot of pitches doesn't mean you're gonna you know you can still swing and miss uh, at a high rate too and we if we flip that chart over going back to the first pitch guys and looking at the raw totals Carlos Gomez leads all of baseball in first pitch swinging and this is well documented it's what Milwaukee's doing but right after him is his teammate Aramis Ramirez who hits lower in the lineup but he's still swinging a lot Matt Halliday Justin Morneau Hanley Ramirez Brandon Belt these are all guys that are swinging high rates yeah, I, and I don't, you know, I don't, God, I can't stop saying yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Somebody out there listening needs to have a yeah leaderboard and, and, and track, you know, and see, if he, see if he's regressing to the mean. A top yeah <laughs> Well, I just, I I think it deserves a little more research. But the there, I think there is something to looking at swing changes within a player and saying Pablo Sandoval used to swing at everything. Now he's not swinging at everything and it's not really working out. I think that is the type of analysis that does make sense because these players have have created baselines for themselves. Martin Prado used to swing at first pitch more often, used to put the ball in play more often, used to have a better batting average. You know, everything everything's in a line except for this one stat is missing, and it's related to the swing stat in this other way. So, you know, I wrote about <clears throat> um, Marcus Simeon and Jonathan Scoop, Scope, um, and that's going to be up in, a, in an hour or two. And the thing that I wrote about for them was that here are these two young guys without that track record where we can't say, oh, they should swing more, they should swing less. What, you know, how do we look at these guys and their swing rates and their strikeout rates? And what I found was, you know, Scope has a high swing strike rate and swings a lot of pitches and reaches a lot. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a, a bad, you know, triple play combo right there. Whereas uh, Jonathan, I mean, Marcus Simeon, has a really has a good contact rate and he strikes out a little bit too much, but he doesn't swing a lot of things. I think I'll take the Marcus Simeon approach where I can say to him, Oh look, you know, you're getting to O one counts, maybe look at the first strike a little bit more or or, or 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 swing at some you know, be a little bit more aggressive or do this. I think that's that's a little bit easier than telling a guy like Scope, you know, stop reaching. 
Yeah, yeah. One of the when you talk about the patience like that, one of the things that stands out to me was last year with Robbie Grossman with the Astros. He, you know, they called him up. This is a guy who who had a, a demonstrated strong walk rate at, at the minor league level. Was really good at drawing walks, always double digit. And then he gets up to the major leagues, and they call him up. They give him. We talked about this how they see, they were seemingly giving everybody 130 plate appearances to figure out what they were capable of. And and he was able to walk. He ended up had it with a 12% walk rate, but he also struck out 24% of the time, only hit a buck 98. And the walk rate is what got him on base at 310. The Astros set him down and told him, get more aggressive. He comes back up last year and his walk rate goes down to four and a half percent, but he hit 322 and got on base at a 35% clip. So they were like, okay, it's, it's cool that you're trying to work counts, but you know, not all at once, slow down a little bit, try to get on base a little more and, and not fall behind the count so much. Cause guys were just throwing him strikes and he wasn't really able to do much with him either. I mean, he was getting this high walk rate, uh, and then guys were just challenging him in the zone. So, And he's down back in the minors again this year. But I remember specifically reading a story from them challenging him, be more aggressive. Don't take all these pitches. Yeah, and it's funny to see, you know, Simeon come off a season where you know, in the minor leagues he walked a lot and he struck out a fair bit. And in his first season he – had a 1% walk rate and a 31% strikeout rate. And that was backed by a really bad swing strike rate. So I, I also like just the general improvement in this line in that he's walking more this year and striking out a little bit less and making better contact when he, when he does swing. So in general, you know, a guy like Simeon who doesn't really have the pedigree too, you really need to see this sort of improvement happen in a second try at the league because – you know, he doesn't have the okay of every scout, you know. And um, and I think that Simeon, you know, there's a chance he's a buy low. I know the three homers and three stolen bases probably make people uh, want to hold on to him. But, uh, you know, the 220 batting average, I think that'll go north. And I think it may go uh, past uh, his projection. So I, I think he's a decent buy low. You think he still stays up when uh, Gillespie comes up later this week? Well, I talked to a, a beat writer about that early this season, and I said, "What's going to happen on the middle infield?" And he thinks a trade. So he thought he thought that at some point a trade, possibly a release, if, if Beckham really can't get it going. But you know, the the Samian is a long term asset, and um, Gordon Beckham is nearing his end of his control and has never really showed what they wanted out of him. So. I think that they're hoping for a good stretch and then they can trade him to be a utility guy on, you know, the Yankees or some other team and, uh, and then install Simeon at, at second because I think he's a little bit better suited to second. But in any case, I mean, this isn't, this isn't, uh, really a problem until July one, maybe when they might want to take Matt Davidson up if he, if he improves in the minor leagues. Yeah, that would uh, keep definitely keep an eye on that situation with him because the, the power potential there with him uh, would be pretty pretty nice with him. Do you think that the scope? I mean, we think that Simeon's pretty safe there. What about scope? How long is he going to be safe in Baltimore? Are they going to make him work on this in AAA? Yeah, that. Oh, jeez, it's like <laughs> I uh, so just say like no. <laughs> I think that uh, you know he 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 isn't quite showing enough, and they've got weeks up. And but you know he did survive a Machado coming up. I mean he's still up with the team, mm-hmm. which is surprising because he wasn't he wasn't really playing that well. Yeah, 
But uh, see, I mean, that was an answer to a. You didn't say. You didn't actually say a question. I did. I just said, yeah. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Meanwhile, I see that somebody in my league just traded Marcus Simeon for Francisco Liriano. So there's a way to get something done, folks. <laughs> That worked out. Uh, any more on the hitters before we shift over to the pitchers? I approve that trade. I mean, Liriano, you know, everything's down. He's got his, that walk rate that he always had that is back. And, you know, he's really only good for about 140 innings this season. I'm only kicking myself because I had just completed a trade with this particular player. I, uh, owner, I sent Brad Miller to him for John Neese. He offered it, and I, I needed pitching, and I, I have a little bit of depth at shortstop. And I don't. I felt like I was quitting a little bit on Brad Miller, but it is a position of strength for me. And I almost countered and tried to get Marcus Simeon included, and, and mm. somehow, and I was like, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little greedy. I mean, the deal on itself it stands well. It stands up well. And so this, that happened. About the Orioles and, and scope, you know, they don't really have a good option otherwise. I don't think that Flaherty. I think Flaherty might be a replacement player, and so mm. they would really need to see something from Weeks. I don't think I think Lombard Dotsi is okay, but I don't I think he'd be you know a, a poor choice for an everyday player. Oh, he's, so he's definitely a reserve too. I wonder if if they make end up making some kind of deal. I mean, let's think with Baltimore. They have Dylan Bundy, they have Kevin Gaussman, and they have Harvey Hunter. They've got three excellent pitching prospects. And I was listening to Duke and Farron on Power Alley this morning, and both of them agreed, and I agreed with them. If I have to trade one of those three, I'm trading Dylan Bundy. Hmm. Just because he's got the most uh, people know the least about him, and well, he's he's already he's already been hurt. Uh, but Gaussman's usable right now. If you're if you're trying if you're the Orioles and you look at yourself of having this this two year window this year and next year with Chris Davis, uh, you know everybody. If you they've said they had like this two year window. If you're trying to make this surge, you're going to want to keep the guys you can use right now. You can use Kevin Gaussman right now. Harvey Hunter is just turning heads and doing awesome down the minor leagues right now as well. So if you're in a uh, deep ale is somehow Harvey Hunter's not rostered yet. Go jump on him and, and see which and, and find a spot. Put him on your farm system reserve roster somewhere because the reports just keep getting better about this guy. But so if they're going to make some kind of deal in the American the American League, the American League East, it's all wide open right now. Especially the way the AL is playing out. The Yankees have the best record and they're a terrible team. And even by their most of their fans think they're a terrible team. And right now they have the best record in the, in the division. This is the weirdest note on Kevin Gossman. Kevin Gossman's diagnosis has been changed from an intercostal strain to focal pneumonia. Okay. What? <laughs> is focal pneumonia like a muscle problem? Because that sounds like two very different things. Oh, it's not his abdomen that hurts. It's actually he's got a stuffed nose. <laughs> focal. We, we know exactly where it is. We have we've narrowed it down. This is where it's at. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's, uh, I, I think that their, they, their pitching staff does need a little bit of help. To me, it's, it's just stick Gossman in there, but, um, I do think that they, they're, they're acting like a team that has a window and, you know, with, yeah, I think with Jones and Davis and there's a certain sort of closing of that window, um, that's approaching. So maybe there will be a trade. I don't know. I think that, you know, one thing that, that, that occurred to me when you said that about Dylan Bunny's already been hurt. Um, Jeff Zimmerman just did a an aging curve for for um, injured players. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, uh, he basically looked at aging curves for for players that were injured early in their career, 
and uh, and and for players that were injured, you know, later in their career. So uh, it looks like the best aging curve is is if you weren't injured in your first two years, and the worst aging curve is if you were injured in your first year. So I don't know if that counts for Dylan Bundy. Did he even get to throw a major league pitch? Yeah, he did. He did. Okay, so that's bad. So, uh, you know, his aging curve is worse than other players. So this was for batters, but, uh, you know, I guess I would guess that it's the same for pitchers where we know that past injury projects future injury. And so there we have a guy whose first year in the league got hurt. And I think that that says something for his future. So, you know, maybe maybe um, maybe they can maybe they can get something for Bundy if they can prove he's healthy or. Or maybe they just, you know, put him in the pen for the for this year, and actually, because their pen could use some help too. So, you know, tell him that he's building up innings, and you know, using the pen for a half year. Maybe he has lights out, awesome numbers in the pen, and then they trade him to someone who thinks he can um, start and, and, and handle the workload or whatever. It could but, be a path. Uh, it could be a path to go with them, but it'll be interesting to see. I just thought when you think of the three, you're like, wow, they've got all three of those guys. And it seemed, you know, two years ago in a fantasy league, or even last year, early this time last year, if you were just, uh, before Bundy's injury, if you were to, if somebody were to ask you about Dylan Bundy to trade, you'd laugh at him. No, not trading him. Nope. Untouchable. I, I can't tell you how many times I heard the phrase untouchable in my own home league. I had him and I traded him before he got hurt. It just happened to work out for me, but I, I've grown past the point in my fantasy baseball career that a prospect is untouchable. Anybody's mobile yeah, for the right price. Pitching prospects, the 60% bust rate, trade all your pitching prospects. <laughs> yes, any of them are movable for the right price. Again, I've grown past the point. I think anybody listening, if you get to that point in your career, it's, it's like your next step once you realize that these rookies and these prospects aren't everything. Anybody is movable for the right price, especially pitching prospects. And I have Harvey Hunter in my home league, and if somebody were to come to me with the right price, I would move him. I'm not going to hesitate uh, in order to do that. Let's look at switch over to pitching and look at guys. Uh, we're talking about guys whose strikeout rate has surged this year. What I did in putting this graph, this particular data together, is I looked at pitchers that threw at least 100 innings last year just to get a decent baseline. I didn't want to get relievers in. I just wanted to look at starting pitchers. And then I looked at whoever's faced at least 70 batters this year, and I found 17 pitchers that have seen their strikeout rate improve by at least five full percentage points. And then looking at percentage difference i've got two different columns here the, the difference and then percentage difference the leader in percentage difference somebody you may not surprise you but i think it'll surprise a lot of people it's brandon mccarthy brandon mccarthy's strikeout rate is 61 percent higher than it was last year 13 percent in 2013 21 percent in 2014 yeah i mean he the funny thing is that i thought it would come from discovering a changeup i talked to him last year about about working on a changeup and he said that's what he needed to 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 progress but what it ended up being was bulking up mm-hmm. and he just got he just got real he just tried to get real big and tried to develop a, a training program that he could stick with in season he said he was going to do a more rigorous in-season training schedule than he had in the past and he just wanted he said something to me that was funny he said as a skinny guy i wake up in the morning sometimes and i'm like jeez I lost a notch on my belt buckle. Like I'm, like I'm already getting skinner and weaker, like every day. And um, I said, yeah, I, I understood what you were talking about before I had children. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he 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 definitely, uh, and you can see it in his velocity. So I think that's that one's a pretty simple 
velocity gain equals strikeout gain. Yeah, he's got uh, at least a mile and a half extra on his fastball this year. Yeah, and I think that we've seen other guys that have made it work with sinker slider and good command. I mean, it it, it really is about the command. If you can, and he's not just sinker slider. I mean, he's sinker curve, and curves have better uh, platoon splits than sliders. So in a way, he's got to step in front of you know your Justin Masterson types already anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think he's got decent. I think he's got no. He's got really good command. So, you know, yes, the the platoon splits on pitches are important, but they're a little bit more important to guys that don't have great command. Because if you don't have great command, that slider, you know, falls over the heart of the plate instead of on the edge of the plate. But if you have great command, you can throw sliders to off-handed hitters. Let's talk about sticking on the velocity line here. Let's look at Garrett Richards. Garrett Richards' strikeout rate was 16% last season. It's 26% this season. That's a 58 percentage point different uh, percentage difference in those two rates, obviously, I mean, he threw just as hard last year, so it's not a velocity thing. He's right. pretty much throwing the same pitches. When I look at that, to me, this just looks like more life on the fastball because I've seen two of his starts, and he just doesn't throw it. He's got a lot of life on that, and it just finds, you know, guys take some uncomfortable swings against him. And to me, that's what I see the strikeout rate. He's, he's, he's not pitching from behind as much as he has in the past, uh, and that's one of the things I looked at into him. It's just the write-up that I gave him is that he's not doing much different. He's throwing a few more curveballs. It's just that he's getting more swings and misses on his fastball. Last season, he had swings and misses eleven on 11.7% of his fastballs. This season, it's 18.6%. Last season, they put 54% in play. This season, it's 43%. Same pitch, different results. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of liked him because his changeup, was better last year in the in the in the second half, and I thought maybe he's finally found the changeup. He hasn't even thrown a changeup this year, so it's not about that. I think uh, his velocity actually has gone up a little bit, at least according to um, you know a couple sites out there. His velocity is you know a little bit up over last year, more over ninety six than over ninety five. But you know when I look at his at his pitching mix, I see an average curve. And a, a superfluous a slider, and then a superfluous, uh, a stupendous. There you go. Uh, uh, slider, and then I see two really, really good fastballs, and that that's that's enough, I think. It certainly you know, like is. It said, certainly is working. Uh, speaking when you go ahead when you look, he throws to left-handers. He's actually throwing the curve more than the slider. It make that makes sense. Mm-hmm. The slider is is working against left-handers, but. Uh, the fact that he throws the curve against the slide uh, more than the slider seems to say to me that he he has a different approach against lefties and he has enough weapons to get them out. Um, you know, I I picked up and I got as many shares as I could of him. I think he's a mixed leaguer. I might pause before I start him in Texas at Texas, uh, but you know, I I think he should be owned in all leagues by now. I agree with you. Speaking of change, you mentioned changeups earlier. He he's not throwing one. Somebody who is throwing one this year is Zach Grinke more than he normally does. I mean, if you look at his his pitch usage, he's really cut back on his cut fastball. It's, it's just it's more of a, a show me pitch every now and then. But he's really cut back on his usage of that. But the changeup, he's using it more, and he's getting swings and misses on it at the highest rate that I've seen is going back to two thousand eight. Right now, he's getting swings and misses on about twenty percent of his changeups higher than he's ever done uh, going back to 2008. 
And that's what his spike has been because he's right now, he's got the third highest percentage difference in strikeouts on this list. His strikeout rate was 21% last season. It's 32% right now. That's a 57 uh, percentage point improvement. When I talked to him about this, he said that he couldn't tell me why the changeup has gotten better. He just said, the more I throw it, the better it's gotten. And that does actually line up with what I've heard from other pitchers, that the changeup is the biggest field pitch. Mm -hmm. And I've heard from other people that they tinker the most of the changeup, move the seams just a a centimeter to the left or a centimeter to the right, you know, move the, the finger a little bit more into a circle or a little bit less into a circle, you know, three fingers, four fingers. I mean, yeah, I go back to that Dan Straley article where he had tried 17 different grips on his changeup before he found one he liked. And he told me that last year, even after he found the grips that he liked, that last year he tinkered with a changeup in the second half and it was better in the second half. So I, uh, I talked to Andrew Kashner, who's always been actually known for his changeup, and he had a great changeup and he went from a two seam changeup, he went from a four seam changeup to a two seam changeup and it's better this year. So, you know, I think the changeup lends itself to the, to the tinker. I mean, with a slider, you know, I did talk to Kashner this week for, for Fox and, you know, he, the slider, he, he has a knuckle slider and a regular slider. That is some tinkering, but there are very few people in the major leagues that have a, a, a knuckle slider. Yeah, so you been... ask me, I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think AJ Burnett has a knuckle curve that he moves into a knuckle slider. Mm-hmm. That's about all I've heard for knuckle sliders. And so that means that if you have a slider and you're tinkering with it, I don't know what you do. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I guess you can raise that finger and turn it into a knuckle slider, but you know, other than that, I don't really have, I don't know what you do. But with the changeup, there's like, 30 different changeup grips. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of stuff that people can do with a changeup. As Granky just said, he's been throwing it more. He's been getting more comfortable with it, and it's working out for him. So that, that's really good for him. You know, it's it, it's more amazing to me uh, is what Irvin Santana is doing. Because, yes. you know, Zach Granky at least had a changeup his whole career. And I guess, you know, to be fair to, to, to Irvin Santana, he has a 5% lifetime uh, changeup. Um, percentage rate. So I guess he has been throwing a changeup. But I can't wait to talk to him next week because he just went from 5% to 17%. Exactly. In terms of, and he's getting 26% whiff, whiffs on his on his changeup. And that's far and away better than the 15% average. And that gives him three... Well, you know, his fastballs these, these days aren't, you know, aren't a strength they're not terrible his sinker is pretty good he doesn't get a lot of whiffs on his four seam but it gives him three legit pitches Mm -hmm. and he's in the easier league he's going to face a lot of candy offenses a lot of pitchers i i i think Irvin santana i doubt you can go get him but maybe you can maybe you can convince somebody that they're selling high on him. and here's the other thing with him that he's also enjoying Derek carty had done some work a couple of years ago looking at the benefits of pitchers coming from the american league to the national league and found that strikeout rates went up one point uh they gained 1.6 percentage points in in their strikeout rate so i think you know tripling up on the changeup usage as santana's doing plus the carryover effect is really helping i mean he's on that overall list as as far as uh, percentage of change, he is fifth at 46% difference from last year. The, the other two names I wanted to talk about on this list, two different, completely different types of pitchers. Kyle Loesch is right behind Irvin Santana. It went from, for a career, he's a 15, 16% strikeout rate. This season, he's 22%. And then David Price, 
who was 20% last year and is 27% this year. If you talk to people that own David Price right now, they're probably disappointed because David Price is a 444 ERA. He's already allowed eight home runs when he allowed 16 all of last season. And he's got three wins and seven starts. And But you look at this and say, wow, his strikeout rate has improved 34 percentage points. What's going on here? Let's first start with let's start with Price and work our way back to Loesch. What do you think's happening with Price before I go into it? I don't know actually. David Price has always been a guy that I that I kind of defer to people who watch him more often because to me it just seems like he's traded he he has had the ability to strike more people out his whole career, mm-hmm. but that he's mostly traded that for, you know, the the dreaded weak contact that we're not quite sure exists because you know his ground ball rate is just above league average, but um, it's not about grounders per se, but he he has precise command. I'll give him that. So, you know, it it could be about weak contact, even if I can't really define what weak contact is. When when I look at him, it's something, and to go back to what we were discussing earlier with the importance of that first pitch, the difference I mentioned earlier, if if that first pitch in the count is a ball, the strikeout rate for the rest of that count is 16%. If it's a strike, it's 28.5%. David Price leads all of baseball in first pitch strike percentage at 74.5%. So he is getting ahead right out of the gate. Now, the other issue with him, he's becoming Cliff Lee in that he's always going to live in the strike zone or right on the fringes of it. Uh, but he does not – he doesn't bounce pitches. He doesn't do a lot of crazy stuff there. When he misses, he misses close. And I think that's what's kind of affecting his home run to fly ball ratio right now is 15.7%. It's never been higher than 11%, and that, is, that was his rookie year. Last year he was 8.6, the season before 10.5. His career rate's 9.4. So he's at 15.7 right now, and that's why you see uh, Sierra has him at 256. And he's got an uh, – his uh, ex-fip is 258. Because they love the eleven to the eleven to one strikeout to walk ratio, but he is he's getting ahead, and that's really that's the the big difference here. Last year he didn't do this; his first pitch strike percentage didn't get this way until he came back from his injury. Before he got hurt, one of the disabled list, he was always pitching from behind, one o two o. Then having to come in, I don't care what you throw. So he's throwing with less velocity right now, but he's getting better results as far as strikeouts. And I think the home run to fly ball ratio will level itself out a little bit. And this is, as you were saying with Santana, if if you if you don't own Price, I think it's a good buying opportunity for him because the other skills are there. The only thing that's messing him up right now, the home run, the fly ball ratio is hurting him. The eight home runs, I see you know, a lot of hard hit balls. And when he gets in his own way, in particular the start against the Yankees a couple of starts ago, where he just wouldn't pitch inside. And he was everything was out over the plate, and they were hitting him, much like Oda Rizzi's been hitting, uh, being uh, hit the second time through a lineup, that kind of thing. And I'm, I'm curious, I want to see how Price pitches to the Orioles when he pitches on Thursday, because you're looking at a guy like Matt Wieters, who's always hit him very well. They've also got Nelson Cruz in that lineup. He's going to have a lot of righties to face. Hardy's had a pretty decent success against Price. I want to see if he's willing to come inside to these guys, or if he's going to do the whole fastball away, backdoor cutter, change up, and live on the outer part of the plate. I know overall... It's, it seems to be the unofficial policy of Tampa Bay pitching to pitch to the outside and try to stay away from the mean part of the bat. But if you miss in, then you right in the sweet spot of the bat, and we're seeing some guys pay the price uh, with this. So that's that, that's my view of David Price. There, there's some relationship there between living in the zone and homers. I mean, just talking to Dan Aaron, he's talking about, you know, 
even in a three one count, I don't give in. I just throw it down the middle and, and close my eyes. So there is there is some relationship about being you know in the zone more often and homers. So the, you know that that could be what's happening here. I mean, his walk rate's at an all time low, and he you know zone rate's always very high. So he could be you know refusing to give in on certain counts where maybe you know a, a well placed ball or or ball four would help him better. So uh, you know I think that's interesting. Unfortunately, it looks like. Um, Stuff here at the house has gotten crazy, and uh, we gotta we gotta call it an early end, uh, or it'll be an early end for one of your hosts. I think. Oh yeah, it's a, the thirty seconds. Kyle Loesch difference. More breaking balls this year. Yeah, he's throwing a lot more. Throwing a lot balls. more breaking balls. That's the difference with them. Okay, since you gotta get to the ballpark, for, go ahead. I think that's okay for in season stuff, but I think it's a little bit more wonky for uh, long term health. That's all I gotta say. Agreed. All right, man. Well, we'll let you go, and thanks for tuning in, guys. And we will uh, talk to you probably Friday. I cannot record on Thursday. I have an all day conflict, so the next show will not be on Thursday. It will be Friday. All right. Thanks for listening. Boom. Boom. Boom.